listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of the scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by the streams of water, which yielded their fruits in its season. And their leaves do not wither, in all that they do they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away, the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Thank you, Dick. That was great. Hey, Logan, my battery died, so if you could turn on this mic or just turn it up a little bit. Testing, testing. All right, this is probably super loud. Is that better? I'm good. Good morning, everyone. And thanks again, Dick. That was awesome. Um, so we are right in the middle. Oh, wow, it's a whole different vantage point standing on this side of the, of the church. It's like, it's, like, um, it's like a whole new church. I don't know. <laughs> Hello. Um, so we're right in the middle um, of a seven-week series on the book of Psalms. I don't know about you all, but um, I'm having fun with this one. Like, this, this has been a lot of fun for me. Um, personally, Psalms is not a book of the Bible that I was all that well versed in prior to this series. Um, so I know that I've been learning a lot, and it's been a lot of fun uh, to get to share some of that with you. Uh, we've tried to do some really different kind of interactive, fun stuff in this series. Um, we're having the Psalms sung, which is how they would have been heard you know, back in the day, two, three thousand years ago, when, when the Israelites would have sung these songs. Um, we almost burned down the church last week. Uh, not really, but we lit candles, so it was, it was close. It was close. That was a lot of fun, though. Uh, but definitely go on our website if you missed any of the sermons on this, in this series and check those out, because it was a good time. 
Um, there won't be any pyrotechnics today, um, at least none that are planned, uh, but you might glean some wisdom from this one because we're talking about wisdom psalms. That's a transition. See what I did there? Wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. <clears throat> anyway, so the way we've been progressing through this series is um, every week we look at a different genre from the, diff- from the book of Psalms, like a different type of Psalms. And we've made it through the big three. Uh, we did praise Psalms, thanksgiving, and lament. Those three genres are really the core of the book of Psalms. Um, but for the next four weeks, we're going to be exploring some of the smaller, more niche genres of Psalms. And today we're looking at wisdom psalms. Wisdom psalms are only about 8% of the book of Psalms, so we're talking like 12 or 13 psalms here out of 150, so much smaller genre. Um, And the other genres we've looked at so far, they've been distinguished mainly by structure and form, right? Like there's a set way, there's a set order that the psalmist would write a praise psalm or a lament psalm. With wisdom psalms, though, the thing that makes these stand out is more about content than form. These are psalms that are aiming to teach us something. Prayers, songs, and poems that are aiming to impart wisdom. Now, you might not know this, but wisdom is actually its own genre in the Bible. Like, there are entire books, especially in the Old Testament, that we call wisdom literature. The most famous is probably the book of Proverbs, which is like this collection of, like, pithy little statements about wisdom and how to live. Um, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Does that sound familiar? Or uh, raise a child in the way they should go, and when they are older, they will not depart from it. As iron sharpens iron, so one man or one person sharpens another. Are these familiar to anyone? I'm seeing nods. That's good. This is proverbial wisdom. This is like the kind of stuff that goes on like Christian bumper stickers and coffee mugs. That's basically what we find in Proverbs. There are other examples of wisdom, though. Um, There's the book of Ecclesiastes, one of my favorite books in the Old Testament, uh, which wrestles with the apparent meaninglessness of life in the face of death. Fun stuff. Um, There's also Job, which is this extended reflection on suffering and why we suffer. Um, There's the Song of Solomon, which is like a a love opera in the middle of the Bible. Kind of interesting. And then you find another, a number of other examples of wisdom sprinkled throughout the Bible, uh, including these wisdom psalms. Now, in our culture, and sort of like our broad collective imagination, we're often taught to think about wisdom as knowledge that comes through experience. Who's heard that before? Wisdom is knowledge that comes through experience. Yeah, that's the way we often look at it. Um, in pop culture, when we think about like wise characters, it's always like an old guy. Um, usually bald, bonus if they have a beard. You got your, like, Mr. Miyagi, Gandalf, Morgan Freeman, Yoda. Like, these, these are wise characters. We tend to associate wisdom with age. And, like, there's, there's some truth to that. Wisdom can come with age. But there's also a lot of old fools out there, right? <laughs> like, If wisdom is supposed to come with age, I personally know a lot of people who never got the memo. (laughs) Present company excluded, of course. Um, Big thing to remember, though, when we talk about wisdom in the Bible, is that back then, average age of death was around 40, 50. Life expectancy was not great in the late Bronze Age. 
So the idea of wisdom coming with age is not exactly what the Bible is getting at. Wisdom in the Bible focuses much more on the question, what constitutes the good life? What does a life well-lived look like, and how do we achieve it? We're given like 80 years on this big blue rock of ours, if we're lucky. What are we supposed to do with it? That's the question at the heart of wisdom literature in the Bible. And that's a question that I got to say, as Christians, we don't wrestle with often enough. We don't grapple with that question of what constitutes a good life, because in a lot of churches, we're focused more on what comes after this, the afterlife. Where am I going to go when I die? How do I make sure I go to the right place? What do I have to believe? What church do I have to go to? What do I have to do to take care of the afterlife? We're not as worried about this life. When that's your focus, a question like what constitutes the good life, it it just feels too practical, too small, too irrelevant. We'd rather focus on what comes next, not where we're at right now. And yet... This is the question that a sizable chunk of the Bible is dedicated to grappling with. What constitutes the good life? If the Bible is concerned with that, I think we should probably be concerned with it as well. There's a real shortage of wisdom in our world today. I don't know if you've noticed that. Hopefully I'm not the only one. Um, but there's, like, there's a lot of foolishness in the world. There's a lot of noise, a lot of distractions, a lot of foolish people making the same mistakes over and over again, going down the same rabbit holes, getting lost in the same debates, never quite learning from what happened in the past. One of the metaphors for wisdom that pops up a lot in the Bible is the metaphor of a tree. I talked to the kids about this. Uh, Something rooted, something permanent. A wise person isn't swayed so easily by the ups and downs of life, but they're like a tree with firm roots and healthy fruits. We live in a culture where the swaying almost never stops, where it's hard to be rooted in anything, and when we do have roots, they often don't go very deep. So I actually think that the Bible's focus on wisdom is as relevant as ever. Now, as I mentioned at the outset, wisdom literature doesn't really have a set structure. Sometimes it's Proverbs, sometimes it's narrative, sometimes it's like an opera. And similarly, wisdom psalms are more about content than form. Last week, we looked at the five elements of lament psalms. There's nothing like that for wisdom. But what we do have are some common tropes from wisdom literature. Some common images or metaphors or ways of talking that come up a lot in books like Proverbs that also appear in the Wisdom Psalms. Uh, One of those I just mentioned is the image of a tree. We'll talk about that a bit more uh, in a little bit. Another one of the common tropes we find in wisdom literature, though, is the beatitude. Beatitude is just a fancy word for blessing. Uh, When you see a beatitude, it's a statement that starts out with, like, blessed are the fill in the blank or happy are the the fill-in-the-blank. We call those beatitudes. Um, Some examples from the Wisdom Psalms. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. 
Happy are those who fear the Lord, who greatly delight in his commandments. Happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. These are beatitudes. And the word there that gets translated happy or blessed, that's not like the, the, the general word for a blessing in Hebrew. Like if I say, oh, I'm, I'm hashtag blessed, or um, bless you, may God bless you. That's a different word. This word is the word ashray. And ashray is more about fullness, fulfillment. You want to know who's happy? You want to know who's fulfilled? You want to know who's living a full, blessed life? It's those whose transgressions have been forgiven. Those in whom there's no deceit. Those who fear the Lord and walk in his ways. That's the ashray according to the wisdom psalms. That's how Beatitudes work. They point us to who's really blessed, who's really doing it right, with the idea that we will follow in their path. That's one trope from wisdom literature. Another is the use of dichotomy. This one's kind of interesting. Like stark contrast we find a lot in these wisdom psalms. Usually between like the fool and the wise person or the righteous or the wicked. There's a bunch of these little couplets, these contrasting pairs you find in wisdom literature. Um, Wise and foolish, righteous and wicked, life and death, good and evil, wheat and chaff. Sheep and goats. This was an agrarian culture, so a lot of these come from the farm, right? But as much as Christians don't often talk about wisdom, this stuff should sound pretty familiar. Like some of these things we're looking at, these tropes, should be ringing a few bells for us because Jesus talked like this all the time. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The Sermon on the Mount, which was really Jesus' biggest collection of teaching, it's perhaps the most important sermon of Jesus that we have in our Bibles, starts off with a series of Beatitudes, a list of blessings that echo these wisdom psalms. Does anyone know how the Sermon on the Mount ends? Anyone? It's like Matthew 5 to 7. Does anyone know the last part of the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus tells a story about a wise man who built his house upon a rock and a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. The wise and the foolish. A dichotomy ripped right out of this wisdom tradition of the Old Testament. Jesus was a wisdom teacher. He was a lot of other things, too. He was a healer. He was a prophet. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But at the heart of Jesus' teaching and ministry, he was talking about wisdom. He modeled a path to his followers, his disciples, a way of life that they believed would lead to a life well lived. Uh, In the book of Acts, which narrates like the early church, the first Christians call their movement the way or the path. The first Christians weren't actually called Christians. They were called followers of the way, which is another metaphor ripped right out of the wisdom tradition. 
Part of my goal with this series, the reason we're going through all this stuff, talking about form, talking about tropes, I really want to empower you to read and encounter these psalms for yourselves. I don't want you to be dependent on what you get here in like 20, 25 minutes on a Sunday. I want you to be able to actually engage with these psalms throughout the week. And now you know a few tropes from the wisdom psalms. Trees, beatitudes, dichotomies, the image of a path. And now that we know all that, let's go back and reread Psalm 1, the psalm that Dick sang for us a few minutes ago. I think there might be some things that stood out that we missed before. We'll see what we learned. Psalm 1, beginning in verse 1. Happy or blessed are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. Or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That's the first psalm. The book opens with this sort of statement, this poem. And there's a lot there. It's short, but it is packed. Did you see any of the stuff that we talked about? Any of those tropes? seeing nodding. That's good. The psalm opens with a beatitude. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, take the path the sinners tread. There's the path metaphor, by the way. Or sit in the seat of scoffers. More literally, it's like, blessed are those who do not walk in the way of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers. Do you hear that kind of like echo? There's almost like this this downward spiral, a progression of sorts that gets worse and worse. First, you're headed in the wrong direction. You walk in the way of the wicked. Then you're standing in the wrong place. You've actually like situated yourself there. Then you're sitting in the seat of scoffers. Walk, stand, sit. It's a very visual metaphor of going down the wrong path. And then the real heart of this psalm is a dichotomy, a contrast between that path that leads to destruction and the way of the righteous. The psalmist declares that the wicked are like chaff, they're like hay or straw that's blown in the wind. And what are the righteous like? Trees, yes, trees, the tree metaphor. They're like trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in season and their leaves do not wither. Trees were a pretty powerful metaphor in the ancient world. We don't think about trees as much anymore, at least I don't. Maybe you feel like live in a forest or something, you, you might. Um, but like if we live in cities and towns, trees are like decoration, right? Like you can even buy like a cute little pet tree to like keep in your house. Or if you have allergies like me, you can like buy a fake one and get the same effect. But in, in the ancient world though, trees were the tallest things most people ever saw. I mean, they didn't have skyscrapers. Trees were also the oldest things most people would see. The trees that were there when you were born were probably going to be there long after you died. Trees are firmly uh, planted in the earth, but their branches reach up to the heavens. They're almost like a bridge between heaven and earth. 
In some ancient cultures, trees were even a symbol for eternal life. You want to be a tree, not chaff. That's the point. You want to be well-rooted, not blown about by the slightest gust of wind. You want strong branches that bear good fruit. This kind of language is all over the New Testament, by the way. If you read, like, Paul's letters, if you look at what Jesus said, they're always talking about vines and branches and trees and fruit. A wise person is like a tree planted beside a stream of water with strong branches, good fruit, and leaves that do not wither. I should stay right here. So how do we become like trees? It's probably not a question you thought you were going to be asked today. How do we grow in wisdom? How do we achieve the good life? Experience is no guarantee, although it can help. Um, But it's not about how old you are or how much money you have. It's not how much you can produce, how smart you are, um, how much you can make or being the best. It's about being rooted in the word of the Lord. Meditating on the way of God day and night. It's about following the way of Jesus. It's how we might say it today. If Psalm 1 is any indication, wisdom doesn't flow from experience. It flows from faith. Faith is something we're actually called to practice. Faith is embodied. It's a way of life. It's a path. It's not just about believing the right things, although that can certainly help. But faith is not checking off a bunch of boxes in your head. It's a path that we are invited to walk through grace. It's a road to salvation that is freely offered to us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This probably isn't going to be a surprise to most of you, um, but I have not arrived yet. I'm still on that journey. Um, I hope to achieve wisdom someday, but I'm pretty sure I have pretty far to go. My wife would probably weigh in on that. Um, I've been following Jesus for most of my life, like since I was a little kid. Heck, I've, I've been in ministry. I've been a professional Christian of some kind for most of my adult life. And, but I still find myself blown through the wind like chaff sometimes. I get sucked up in things that take a lot of energy but aren't really worthwhile. I fall for the same gimmicks. I look for the same quick fixes that always let me down. If you're anything like me, I think it's helpful to have some guideposts along the the way, some things that can point us in the right direction. The Wisdom Psalms can do that for us. That's really what they're here for. In your bulletins, which I left mine over there, on the back of the announcements page, you have a guide for daily prayer called Going Deeper with the Psalms, and there are like five or six Wisdom Psalms listed there that you can use throughout your week as a sort of guidepost toward wisdom. I'd encourage you to do that. I'd also highly recommend, especially if you haven't done this before, um, read through one of the Gospels. Like, just pick any Gospel in the New Testament, any of the stories about Jesus. There's four options. Mark is the shortest pro tip. And just read through it bit by bit. You know, read a little bit here, a little bit there, to really ground yourself in the way of Jesus. I think there's other ways we can be reminded, though. It's important to have other signposts, things that can be visual or speak to our senses beyond just reading or reciting something. 
And so today, as we leave the sanctuary, the ushers are going to be handing out <clears throat> these little pins. They're in plastic bags for safety. But every one of these pins has a picture of a tree on it. Um, these are yours to keep. Um, and and uh, parents, if your kids are old enough, please grab one for them as well. And you can do whatever you want with this pin. You can put it on a backpack. You can put it on a purse. You can set it on your windowsill. But my hope is that this will be a reminder for you throughout your day and throughout your walk to ground yourself in the way of wisdom, to follow the way of Jesus, to not be blown about through the wind by chaff, but to be like a tree with roots firmly planted in the ground, strong branches and good fruit to bear the fruit of a life well lived. You can get these on the way out, but let's pray. God of wisdom, help us to put our faith into practice. Help us to live our lives well. To not be so easily swayed by the winds and the troubles of this world, but to be firmly planted in your word and your truth. God, help us to bear good fruit. Help us to follow the way of Jesus. Guide us through your grace, Lord, on the path to wisdom. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.